0: Good morning, and welcome to the Mirror Football Football Digest Show. And um, very nice to have you with, with us uh, this week. Coming, uh, a couple of us are coming live and direct, still in Warsaw, um, and a couple of others live and, direct, live and direct from their homes in the northwest. Um, let's introduce you to the, into the panel first. Uh, first of all, a special guest and very special indeed, Dave McDonald, our Manchester man. Uh, Andy Dunn joining us as usual, Daily Mirror's. Um, chief sports writer, and Matt Dunn, who's just down the hall from me in our hotel in Warsaw. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice to uh, nice to have your company, guys. And uh, and thanks so much for, for, for tuning in as well. We're going to reflect on England's week, the game, I think, last night, the plan, FIFA plan for, for the World Cup every two years. And of course... The return of the Premier League um, this weekend, but who will be able to play? That is the question, actually. I know, Dave, you were were writing on that yesterday, so a lot of interest in that. I mean, blimey, what a ridiculous and ugly scenario. But listen, let's start by talking perhaps um, about England and last night. Um it, it, it felt, in a way, maybe it's, a, you know, it's a sign of how far England have actually come in the last um, few years under Gareth Southgate. But going to Warsaw, getting a result like that, 1-1, one, one, they're still in control of the group. But con- concede like that in the 92nd minute actually probably feels not like more of a defeat. Matt, Matt, you were there. Um, you know alongside me in the pre- in the press box what do you make of the performance and you know much has been said in there about kind of england's maybe failure failure to react southgate's failure to make the substitutions failure to kind of react uh, sort of uh, adapt to the tactics what did you make of the performance and the result overall
1: I oh, thought so right at the end, it was such a shame for England because let's not lose sight of the fact that it was a good away performance. They did the hard part, which was get in front, get a goal, you know, in that atmosphere that was very hostile, very noisy. Kane, absolutely stunning goal, um, which uh, uh, his old mate from, from his Arsenal days that he used to beat regularly then will perhaps have wanted to have done better with. But but having said that, he moves and swerves and dips the ball so much he showed Lewandowski. Interestingly, he was the last player to uh, last Polish player to touch the ball before Kane scored. Was his somewhat scuff shot that Pickford so, stopped. So it showed that if in the battle between the two number nines, it was very much one-upmanship for Kane. They've done all that. they would kind of got dragged into the battle in the first half, um, but calmer heads perhaps at half-time had emerged after that scuffle, um, uh, and and they played well. They dominated the game and they looked good for their lead when Kane gave it, but. Right at the end, you could see there was tiredness there, uh, not necessarily physically, but in lapses of concentration. And right at the end, Carl Walker, who can switch off and on as quickly as that, you know, let Lewandowski go, and you know, you don't have to score great goals if you can make them. Uh, and they did the damage. And and it was, it was a shame. And and, and you'd still take, you know, before kick off, you just said one is a good result in the scheme of things. But that's the difference, unfortunately, where England are between being a very good side and one that wins serial major tournaments. If we can't lock up these victories, then we're not going to win things, and we prove that because you know we've taken leads in World Cup semi-finals, Nations League semi-finals, European Championship finals, and lost them all. So we've got to get that sorted before Qatar, and that's the big lesson that's got to come out of this.
0: Yeah. Andy, yeah. I mean, it's obscure sort of stats sometimes that, that, that we look for. Blimey, England haven't made, and one of the guys in the press box actually so kind of told the old press box, basically, I think a stat that he picked up wrongly or something. But basically, this stretch, uh, run the stretch back, not making a substitution in a game until 2014. Well, actually, it was tw- it was 1996, the Euro semi-final, wasn't it, um, that England had failed to make a substitution in a game? I mean, it, it, that perhaps shows you how rare it is, doesn't it? That basically England in 25 years, you know, they've, they've always made a substitution. How surprising is that? And was that an error, really? Because England looked dead on their feet the last 10 minutes.
2: Well, it, it, it's only an error because of what happened, you know, a minute and a half into added time. I mean, that's how fine the margin was. Um, you know, I I, I I look at Southgate and Steve Holland, you know, occasionally, this is just sort of like, you know, anecdotal sort of reference from me, but I, I often see them being a little bit hesitant when, when they're making substitutions, you know, even when they do make them, it, it does take quite a while for them to, to come to a decision, because um, clearly he has great faith in that starting eleven. Yes, in hindsight, it, it, it may have been a mistake, you know, it may have been a mistake, but don't forget the goal came from, you know, a couple of blocked... Sh- Blocked efforts, you know the one I think Calvin Phillips blocked it, didn't he? And then, you know, it it, it falls quite fortunately to Lewandowski, and who makes you know a great cross, and a great header, you know, and that just can happen. I don't think that's. I think we've got to be careful in finding any sort of grand failing on England's part just because they conceded a goal at the time to a to a very well a very decent let's put it that way to a good Polish side, you know. And it was a good goal. It was a great cross. It was a very good header. You know, again, I wouldn't apportion any particular blame to. To defenders, the way the ball was stood up was perfect, and 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 it was it was a fine header. So I just think we've got to be careful and not to sort of assign any sort of like you know inherent failing in England um, for for what happened there there late on. In hindsight, yes, it's unusual nowadays with substitutions not to actually make any. I mean, I mean a lot of that's often, as far as I'm concerned, is managers show, but They shouldn't have that many subs anyway. For goodness' sake, you know. Have I ever told you my stat about Liverpool going through a whole season with 14 players? <laughs> I'm winning the I'm winning the title. I, I've, I funny enough, have I never mentioned that? 14 <laughs> players an entire season. You've now got 25 players or whatever it is on, on the bed or in the squad, but and that was the entire. I think we
0: did, I think we did a pod, I think we did a podcast in 2012 when you didn't
2: mention it. Well, oh, I didn't yeah. mention it, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just so you know it's become, and I often actually think it's a bit of a sort of it's also a bit of a manager's fad isn't it like you know they like to be um well not southgate isn't like this but managers like to show you know that well we've got these subs we're going to, going to use them i mean for example to be devil's advocate and everyone now is saying he should have made a substitution and okay it is incredibly unusual for him not to make a substitution even when you're leading one nil but out of interest
0: who, who'd you bring on who'd you take off
1: well i would um, say-
0: Million, million percent. You, you, I mean, me and Dunny were talking over, over yeah. breakfast, our breakfast, I should say, um, and basically <laughs> we, we both we both agreed. All bullish. <laughs> um, yeah, we both agreed it would be a player to come in and steady the ship in midfield. To you know, I mean, whether that means replacing Mount, who I thought was frankly anonymous last night. I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan of Mount, but he had a poor game last yeah. night. He just couldn't yeah. get involved. And so basically what do you do, you basically can bring someone in like a Bellingham or, or a yeah. you know Henderson to try and take the sting out of the game. I mean, I'm just, you know. I mean, it may be been different. That's John, it, it may be different for you guys uh, who
2: are actually inside the stadium. For those of us who are uh, writing about it and watching it from here, and and, and you mentioned, I think, I think you said earlier, sort of about being dead on the feet. I'm looking at it and I never for one minute thought that England would concede a goal. I, I, I thought they were unbelievably comfortable. I thought they were in control of the game until that happened in, in the last minute. That's the way it come across on the TV. I know that's what Southgate also protests that he thought they were completely in, in control of the game. So I guess the temptation then is to is to not make any changes. You know, and bear in mind these guys don't forget none of them started the game on Sunday, so their previous game had been last Thursday. Don't forget also it's it's early in the season, so in theory they should be like you know. Um, well capable of playing two games in, in whatever. Again, I'm, I'm sort of being Dell's advocate because it is, quite frankly, unusual not to make a substitution. But whether it made a difference or not, I'm not sure.
1: But, Andy, what, what what we discussed at breakfast is, I think in those last phases, uh, <laughs> well, apart from the eggs, which was... Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs>
3: breakfast is, uh, is, you know, an intriguing. It keeps
1: cropping up, was it? Was it? Mm. <laughs> well, yes, you know... Well. Power breakfast and all that, um, no. See the discussion
0: over orange juice and grapefruit juice is frankly gripping.
2: <laughs> um, but The fact, the, the, the fact that James is actually getting up for breakfast in a hotel is, is, is more disturbing, but there you go. Well, that's another story.
1: Glossing over that. Um, yeah, there's some of the clearances in that very last phase, just look tired, that's where, and half-hearted, and you think if that was in the first minute, they get the foot goes through the ball and it's cleared. And it's fine. That's where the tiny squad came in. I thought Phillips perhaps was just half a yard, and which when yours the whole thing is about making that extra yard, then, then that's a problem. What I kind of thought in with hindsight, admittedly, is if you've got Jordan Henderson, if you've got a European Cup winning captain on your bench, if he's not there to see out games, mm. why have you got him in the squad? And if at 70 minutes, which is when the changes should have been more 75 minutes just after the goal. That's when you say, right, we've got our lead, we've got what we came for, let's shut up shop. That's when Henderson should be coming on, not in the 88th minute when that could disrupt play. Uh, and if Jordan Henderson isn't there to come on, shout at people, keep them in place, um, keep keep an eye on things mentally as much as physically, then, then I don't know why he's in the squad apart from the card tricks.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dear. He sounded like Roy Keener.
1: Well, if uh, Southgate doesn't yeah. trust him, what, why have him in the squad? No,
0: no Dave, I was just yeah. going to ask you about the um, about the central defensive partnership, really. I mean, Maguire and Stones, I think, have definitely emerged as the first choice pairing in, in a back you know, back four. I mean, they did look very, very comfortable by and large last night, didn't they? Even against Lewandowski. You know, uh, uh, is that a pairing that makes you think of kind of you know that sort of golden era when sort of kind of England had, you know, Terry and Ferdinand. Some might argue Terry and Campbell's the better pair, but you know, the, the basic England have got a real solid foundation now, haven't they, with that pair?
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think, as you say, Crossy, they, they complement each other so well. You know, they—I wouldn't say they've got contrasting styles because they're both comfortable on the ball. They're both comfortable bringing the ball out from the back. Um, I thought. I, I think just prior to the goal, um, Poland's goal, where you know Stone showed great composure to, to sort of you know win the ball back outside his penalty area and turn a couple of times and bring it out. And 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 Matt Matt was referring to the kind of desperation defending. Yeah, that was evident in the uh, in in the goal and in the build up to the goal. But I thought prior to that, and as as Andy has said as well, they defended diligently, they defended with composure. You know, there's none of this kind of panic that you that you, you often see at times. I, I do think they're, they're a partnership that, that will go forward. I think they have a good understanding. Um, my concern was that you know it was left to Luke Shaw to pick up the goal scorer. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what height Shaw is. He's sort of five foot ten, five foot eleven, but he's he's certainly not the uh, the tallest of of defenders. So I think if you're looking, you know, I, I appreciate your point it was a great result for England. Um, you know they, they would have taken that as we said before kickoff. Um, but if you're looking to apportion any blame, I think Stones and Maguire didn't pick up, uh, you know, their, their markers for the goal, uh, and it was left to Shaw, who was never going to win against against the goal scorer, who's I think about six one, I think six two or something. So, yeah, it's um, it's that's the only gripe. But I think yeah, there's certainly a partnership there that, you know, will be the bedrock of England for the next sort of three four years and, and and beyond. You know, the next three or four major tournaments. Um, You know, with Walker and Shaw, um, you know, at uh, in in the fullback roles, you've got a Manchester back four there, um, Mm. which which know I think that understanding throughout the back four will develop and, and get better. But as Matt said, this recurring theme of going ahead and you know not seeing out the game is something that has to be addressed because as as we said, it's happened so many times now. Um, I did, I did an uh, interview with Paul Ince last week. Um, he was inducted into the National um, Football Museum Hall of Fame, and, and he was saying just that: that England, you know, for all the good they've done, you know, getting to a World Cup semi-final, getting to a, um, a you know European final, European Championship final, they they, they still lack something that, that 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 sets them apart from the, the great teams, the likes of Italy, you know, the likes of France. You know, the, these great teams who can see out games, who have a real identity, a clear identity, and a and a way of playing. And I think, you know, let's be honest, as good as England have been, or as far as they've got in the last two major tournaments, they have had an easy passage to, to where they got in terms of the opponents. And, you know, you look at look at the Italy final, you know, they, they went ahead so early, they got a bit inhibited uh, and allowed Italy back into the game. I, I think last night was poor game management from Southgate um, in the sense of, and we've said this already, the guys have said this, when you go that, you know, 1-0 up at 76, 77 minutes, whenever it was, you have to uh, you know, shut down the game stay out the game as matt said bring on the henderson and i just think that, that that naivety costing them last night but yeah in answer to your question crossy i think yeah Maguire and stones is a pretty formidable partnership um and one that's only gonna get stronger
0: matt there was one story wasn't there out of it that you know it, 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 still not sure we completely got to the bottom of actually what happened that bust up before our time um, you know, and there's no doubt about it. Campbell Glick, the uh, Polish defender, really got under England's uh, England's skin bit, really, didn't it? Bizarre incident, really, isn't it, really, that uh, that happened, really? I mean, should should England sort of have kept their heads a bit better, do you think? What do you think?
1: Well, I thought they actually on the pitch kept their they It came at the perfect time for them because they all disappeared down the tunnel and it was almost like Southgate had said to them, yeah, calm down, lads, this isn't what we came for. You know, and the, the scuffling that we got involved in in the first half, we, we tended to, to use the ball more intelligently in the second half and play as a better football team. So in terms of it affecting performance, um, I don't think it was an issue because uh, half-time came exactly the right point. What we're more confused about is the fact that it's been reported through all the authorities. The TV replays that we had seem to show a sort of pinching incident of the throat um, but nothing else other than that, particularly. There's nothing concrete that, that anyone spotted. But but the flow of information was frustratingly poor last night from the FA, and it's normally very good. Um, and uh, I know we, we were saying this morning the Polish press have picked up on the fact that there is this storm around Camel Glick, and he's he said it was just a scuffle. He's given his version to local television, um, uh, and that that's all we know at the moment. We don't know. Harry Kane says it was something that was done rather than something that was said. But until we know the nature of these allegations, you, you just don't know how to to treat you know, what's gone on and, uh, and how provocative it was and whether it is something we should still be talking about or whether it should have been left with a handshake at the end of the match.
0: Yeah, no, it, it was really, really strange. Uh, Dunny, what did you think, and the other, basically, I mean, overall now, when you look back upon England's international week, three games, you know, they've now had six games in total. I mean, it's, it's pictures rosy, isn't it? Oh yeah, and yeah, absolutely. It,
2: it, was, it, was a, it was an excellent international break, you know, and I think, um, you know, we, we've discovered that Southgate has, has, has settled on a team that, you know, um, that we can all pretty much predict. It might be a little bit different when Phil Foden and Marcus Rashford are available to him again. But well, probably not, you know, I mean, I think we know the system that he wants to play now, um, that he's generally going to play. Um, he might switch again, now and again, but I doubt it. Um, if, again, it sounds obvious, but if you look at the three fixtures and say Hungary away, um, Andorra home and Poland away in Warsaw, and if you say, well, you get seven points from those three games, considering the position you're already in, then you, you take it. Um, no, no doubt about it. And Poland was always going to be a tough game. Um, but we all thought Hungary was going to be a tough game, and, and they and they cruised through that one. Positioning the group is, you know, I mean, pretty, I mean, it's a formality, is it? That they're going to qualify. Let's let's get that right. You know, they're four points ahead of four games left, and that includes what I'm doing away, San Marino home, Albania home. Is it I can't remember Hungary home, sorry, Albania. Mm-hmm. They're the, basically it's a given, um, that they'll qualify. So I don't think you can ask for. It. For anything else, you know, and I think the side is settling into again. Once you get to World Cup, there might be injuries, but the Rice-Phillips axis in the middle of the midfield looks good. You've already alluded to the fact that he he now has a defensive unit that um, that concedes very few goals, um, and you've got an attacking um, three that's you know, let's, let's say Kane and Sterling are shoe-ins, then. You could have Grealish there, who who, who was who was done nothing wrong. I thought Grealish was a little bit wound up too easily last night. You know, I mean, they clearly got at him, and that's going to happen all the time. You know, you know, now he's a big name, an even bigger name. Sorry, that's going to happen all the time to him now. And I, I, I'm not sure about his response last night. I thought he got a little bit um, sort of over the top in, in his complaints. But yes, in, in answer to your question, I think there's, there's very, very few, if any, negatives you can take away from this international break. It was typical England qualifying form. They get the job done time after time after time.
0: Mm, yeah, no, it uh, yeah, mm. it's a positive overall. You're right, really. However, yeah, kind of spin you put on it, it's hard. it well, it's impossible not to see England not qualify for, for this tournament. They're halfway there already, aren't yeah. they? Really? Uh, yes, uh, and more, yeah, than more than that, that but yes. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, it is interesting, isn't it, that basically it only feels like yesterday that that they were at the Euros, covering the Euros, basically, and it's now 14 months away from the World Cup in Qatar. Now, if Arsene Wenger and FIFA get their way, (laughs) basically, we're going to see a World Cup every two years and a major tournament, by the way, every single summer. So it's kind of maybe going to redress the balance a little bit. Now, Disco, let, let me start with you. What, do you. what do you make of it? I mean, it's. Well, I don't think we've seen the full, complete set of plans and the intricacies of how exactly it will work. So I don't think any of us have, even, no. even if you've had a little bit of a... <laughs> Not a officially, Crossy. Yeah. Well, have we though. I mean, you know, some of us have sort of, you know, spoken to a few people about about <laughs> things, and I'm not sure that we even then we've still completely had an outline. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of excited. You know, I want to know more because I think it's got good points, bad points. You know, and we'll discuss them now. But basically, yeah. Does it take away the magic? You know, yeah, if you, if I, I you think it does. I,
3: I think look, but, you you have to you have to accept that. You know, there is a tradition, you know, since, whatever, 1934, 36, whatever, Mm. when the first World Cup, um, you know, uh, occurred every four years. Now, competitions need to evolve. Competitions need to adapt in order to remain relevant and adapt to the changing nature of the game. we have seen that with the Champions League. we have seen that with the Premier League. You know, the formats do change. My my concern, and this is the concern clearly of of clubs, um, you know, associations, managers in particular, and, and of course players, is, you know, is this going to mean more games? Now, I think we need to see in more detail the proposal to see how it would fit in with the rest of the calendar. But there are so many different elements to this. You know, you know, would it clash with the European Championships? Of course. Would it clash with the Olympics? Of course. There's a myriad here that you have to, you have to address and you have to get assurances on. Um, I mean, we were talking before we came on here, Crossy, I think you were saying that from your understanding, it doesn't mean more games. And I think that's the real fear for clubs and for managers and players that... In an already, you know, bursting, you know, fixture schedule, you know, the idea of more games, you know, every two years, putting more pressure on players, you know, more, you know, potential for injuries, you know, burnout, all these kind of elements come into play. That's the concern. But I do think it is a proposal. You know, there's a feeling that it's just, you know, designed to make FIFA more money. I'm sure there's some some merit to that argument. But I do think we have to see the proposals in their entirety. Before you can make any kind of judgment, but but I'm a traditionalist. I, I, I like the fact there's a world cup every four years and you know, European Championships, and they kind of you know, um, dovetail. I you know, I, I don't see a, a, anything wrong with that at the moment. You know, I do think sometimes the qualification process for, for world cups, as we've seen with England, is a bit prosaic, a bit pedestrian. You know, because the ease with which England have got through it, it sometimes renders the games not meaningless, but you know, they're a kind of you know, a, a bit of a walk in the park for England. So I would kind of address that element of it more than you know having the cycle of, of four years. I would address the the kind of competitive nature of um, you know, uh, World Cup qualifiers. But equally, if you're going to expand the World Cup to include more countries, you're you're going to have this uh, disparate quality of, of, of nations and and games where really you know and groups where like Englands where they're going to just breeze through it quite easily. So I think we need to see the proposals in their entirety. But for me, if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it type thing.
0: Yeah. Matt, I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of press conferences between us down, down, down the years. His involvement is is rather amusing. I must say, I, I, I do think that, you know, to picking up on Disco's point about being a traditionalist here, I don't know whether any of you guys saw that show, the Fever Pitch, the history of the Premier League, basically, and the instigation. Which I thought was quite, you know, was fascinating. I've bored bought, bought, asked Matt already about this, but basically, there's a clip right at the beginning when when they interviewed David Dean, the former Arsenal vice chairman, who, you know, brilliant visionary of of his of his time, fantastic man in football. Basically, I mean, the English game is, you know, I I think has evolved, you know, partly because of David and the and his influence. I think it's absolutely fantastic, and fabulous for English football. And he, you know, he was sort of picking up picking holes at. One of, the, one of the old traditionalists on the full league saying, well, blimey, if he says that the Premier League, who wants that? Basically, you know, we're stuck in tradition here. And he makes the point, well, yeah, it's been in place for 100 years. Well, yeah, isn't it time to review it? And I guess that's the point, isn't it? That basically maybe we do. And, you know, when you see it set out, when you hear the arguments, I actually think there's quite a lot of merit to it. But, you know, I mean, the fact then that sort of kind of Wenger is opening those merits, Matt, is, does that surprise you?
1: It does a little bit because he was never a big fan of international football all the time he was in charge of Arsenal, um, uh, any international football. Uh, I think if you sat that, if football could sit down with a blank piece of paper, I quite like the idea of a world championship every two years. Why not test yourself against the world? Because it has meaning. I always wonder when you're European champions, uh, to, to some North Americans... Yeah, someone over there not that literate in in soccer. They don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. If you're a few European champions, great, but it but it's not. World champions mean something. You're the best team in the world, and doing that every two years, I think, is exciting. I'd rather see England play um, mismatched games against. African, uh, you know, minnows or whatever, or lesser teams in Africa than San Marino and Andorra over and over again because we know what that's about. With the, the, there's the exotic of of playing against teams you don't play every every year, I think. And I I'm kind of warming to the Nations League as a concept. There's still a few things that need sorting out so that people can actually understand it. But the, the idea of the best teams play in a division with the best teams, uh, and, and San Marino play Andorra more often in the lower leagues. I think if that was to happen in between years with a little mini tournament, like a semi-finals and a final like we had when England were involved in, in Portugal, then that, that's a taster of some international football for the summer. Uh, the problem with that is UEFA would then have to give up completely the European Championship. Uh, and for FIFA saying it doesn't involve any more games overall, what they mean is it involves more FIFA games. But they're wishing away UEFA games, which are not going to be given up. And that's the problem. It's the power struggle. I think the end game, though, I think a World Cup, you know, Gareth Southgate alluded to it. If you get injured for a World Cup, you might not ever play in one because there's eight years between the other ones. Yeah, you only get, whereas every two years you get a chance. and, And I don't think it's too much. And yeah, but keep it going. Have a summer off for a major tournament. But yeah, you effectively wipe out the European Championships. Um, but you, aren't know, going to do that. It's yeah, you know, pie in the sky thinking. But, but the same way as the hundreds come into the cricket calendar, you know, providing it evolves and changes, I think people can get excited about it. And yeah, but the the, the pie in the sky thinking and the reality of everyone sitting around a table saying, right, okay, you have that, we'll have that, we'll end up with a mismatch, which does nothing for anybody. Uh, and just leaves us with massive holes in the domestic calendar, while everyone goes off to play international football, except those that don't. Which is the other thing is you've got to think about the people who aren't playing in these big jamborees. What are they going to do for a month while you have these international breaks that, that Wenger's advocate seems to be advocating? Mm, no,
0: no, Interesting. no. no. And Andy, how do you see it? How do you see it actually working? How do you see it playing out? What are the practicalities of it because you know, I, I, I'll be honest you know oh well, you and I let, I mean let's be honest here we've basically yeah. had some some sort of detail on some sort of insight yeah. this week, haven't we and yes. basically it's been interesting to me I, yeah. I went into I went into that thinking mm, not for me not sure about this mm. and basically I left it thinking do you know what that might just work yeah and maybe maybe change is overdue. And yes. so I'm not reminded, but how do you see the reality and the practicality? I,
2: I, I, absolutely. Obviously, it's going to be um, detail is going to be announced this afternoon, I think, uh, lunchtime. And I think we, we, we know what, what direction they're going to go, and we know some of the details that, that are probably going to be announced. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that if you come into it colder and you're talking about it, the, the obvious thing FIFA would be absolutely mad. To come to the table and say players are going to play more games. They're not daft. They know that that's just a non starter. Hence, why people who are saying, well, players' workloads will be increased. It's an absolute madness. Well, you know, FIFA are a lot of things, but they're not, and Arsene Wenger, they're not daft. So they're, they're, we know they're going to come to the table this afternoon. And what they're going to say is, here we go. Here's proof players will not play any more games. They will not travel any further than they travel already. Here's the amount of games they play now. And they will probably use an example of you know player x and here's what player x will play under the new calendar they'll say there'll be no more games so in terms of what you the extra games you play in finals tournaments in the summer will be taken away from the qualification process so whereas england are now going to play um 10 games in their qualification program process for a world cup they'll play less and they'll play more meaningful games in in the summers that's the way you know as i say they have to come and 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 promise that they ha- they cannot come and say players are going to play more games you know that that is as simple as that so they won't and they'll explain why players aren't going to play more games and why the qualification, uh, qualification process will be will be less as as dave said uh less prosaic less 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 you know less long-winded and that's and that's the way they'll do it so you know I, and I, i'm they will make I think a, a relatively relatively compelling argument. You can't get away from the fact that it, 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 it is a sense of a, um, of a bit of a power struggle between FIFA and UEFA. You can't get away from the fact that no matter how much they protest, and they will protest this, it has massive financial implications for FIFA. You can't get away from the fact that it's so appealing, this idea of a World Cup every, every two years to um, so many nations, um, that of the 211 nations, you know, Infantino will need their votes when he's when he's up for re-election, and this w- will be a vote winner. You can't crave more those things, but I think they will. I think people will actually, if they look at the the the, the, the details of it, they'll you know they won't think it's it, it's that it's such a it's such a outrageous idea. And on a broader, on a sort of sort of um on a broader way of thinking, it will also it, it will also track it will also separate the the generations, won't it? Traditionalists yeah. and a younger generation, you know, who, let's face it, you know, the four years thing isn't isn't a tradition for them in in, in life. You know, it's not it's not you know, I, I won't find many, you know, young 20 year old football fans saying Oh my way, like we must keep it at four years a World Cup. When over the last, you know, when they absolutely love it when it comes around. I don't particularly think a World Cup every four, every two years loses any of its allure. I wouldn't have thought so. You know, I mean, I mean, the appetite for watching tournament football on TV, international tournament football. We only have to look at the viewing figures for the European Championships just gone. Oh, you know, I mean, the appetite is is is, 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 is you know, voracious, absolutely voracious. More so. You know than for end of season friendlies and, and listen, it, it's going to be complex. Again, I agree with the UEFA thing's an issue because UEFA would have to give up not the European Championships. Obviously, that they would they would take place um, even more frequently. However, obviously the Nations League would be would be a, a casualty of it. One would assume, and it's an incredibly complex issue. Again, I mean honestly, you, you, they they literally will have to spend all day explaining it because where does it fit in with the FIFA Club World Cup? How's it going to affect clubs? Clubs who now want, you know, we've had a couple of seasons of a couple of summers of, of like, you know, not maximising their potential earnings. Who we are going to want to take their hundred thousand pounds a week players away to um, Asia and Australia and America? So there's a whole sort of complex web of issues. But I think on the basic idea, they have to come and they have to they have to prove that the workload on a player will be less rather than more if they have a World Cup every two years.
3: But, but, but Danny, how do they, how do you practically, how do you, how do FIFA reach that compromise? Because if you're going from a tournament every four years to one every two years, and you're expanding it to include more nations, surely you're going to have to play more games. It, it's logical. I, I, no. don't I don't understand how they can, how they can, I mean, we'll have to wait for the proposal, but yeah. if you're expanding the World Cup and you're expanding it to include more nations and you're playing it more regularly every, every two year cycle, I don't see that you, the, the, the two can marry together. Well, the, 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 they will take the games over a period of time.
2: So let, let, let's take the games over, say, a two-year period or a four-year period. They, they will take it over and they will say, OK, well, the qualification process will be will be slimmed down. So we'll say, let's, let's just say England play, you know, I, I, I don't know, in a tournament year play, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 games or whatever, and they're playing 10 games in this World Cup qualification process. You won't have as many breaks bear in mind you've got a september break now an october break and november break you Mm, won't the the qualification process might even be in one hit you you, you know i i I, let's just have a break play and only you only have to play six games in your qualification group because i presume that they will then chop the groups up so that you know you've only got four teams in a group and okay six games that's all you have to play rather than 10 so you're already four in credit and next extra four go on to the tournaments again their argument will be well, will look if, if 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 when in non-tournament years what happens i mean, I mean matt referred to it in, in one non-tournament year we went to portugal where where england played twice you know in another non-tournament year you might play qualification games or you might play friendlies you've still got a couple of weeks at the end of a season where you play international football and that's what their argument be i'm not saying I, i'm not saying i think that's that's right because i think the demands of a of a major tournament are far more intense even even if numerically the games they can prove on as you know are, are not greater the actual intensity of a major tournament every summer you know now that's another thing you know and mentally as well as physically that intensity every single summer on top of a premier league or a, a Liga or or a R a season I think that 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 takes a lot, you know. That that will take a lot out of players, and and so I think just just by proving as as they will for sure, they will try and turn around today and say players will play less, not more under this plan. That's fine, but I think the demands on that mentally as well will be will be hard to quantify.
3: I think that you, that you make a very good point there as well. Just sorry, Crossy, that that clubs like Manchester United, Manchester City, mm-hmm. Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal. Have had two years, you know, due to the pandemic of not going on the traditional pre-season tour, which is for those clubs, for the elite clubs. And and you know, yeah. you know, right down the down the Premier League now. It's not just those top four, five, six, a lot of clubs are going abroad now to America, to Asia, you know, all, all these lucrative money spilling pre season tours. They want to recoup that. So Dunny makes a very valid point there. Yeah. You know, now the kind of the pandemic's not over of course but now a lot of restrictions of ease I think obviously next next summer we're going to see those tours start up again how do you how do you square those with the, the new Canada because those tours can be two and a half three weeks long and yeah uh, back end of July coming to new season um there's gonna to have to be compromises made uh, by every uh on every level by every club um and and all the authorities so as Danny says there's so many different elements to factor mm-hmm. in um and there's gonna be so much opposition from clubs Um, who are going to want their interests um, best served as well. So it's going to be very difficult to implement, I think. But as I said at the outset, I think we need to see the proposal. And as Danny said, it's coming out today. I think there'll be a bit more clarity once that's on the table.
2: Sorry, John, just very, very very quickly, just very quickly on that point that David makes. The the, the club thing is interesting, just very quickly, in that if you have a major tournament every summer, you then have to have, for those players, a mandatory rest period. Obviously, after the tournament, you, you know, it, 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 it's normal, is it three weeks? And that, that will cause chaos with the clubs, I agree. Yeah,
0: I you know, I was just going to say, it is interesting in that basically, I think this is natural inclination to say, oh, more games, you know, it's going to going to yeah. be a killer for the players. But the reality is it, it won't be. And, then, and I guess from the point of view that... Yeah. It's where the, where the clubs, whether the players, where, the, you know, sort of kind of games administrators, frankly, are open minded to, you know, a complete overhaul of the way that football looks through a 12 month period. You're going to have a massive, it will break down completely if UEFA don't sign up for it, in my view. Because you'll have two glorious years when everything's fine and dandy. Then you'll go into the UEFA cycle for the Euros and you're back to square one. Well, they won't dovetail together. I mean, it's just, you know, and that's, your, in my view, that's your biggest problem. But I actually think the FIFA proposal for that 12-month, which will look completely different, actually makes an awful lot of sense. And I think fans will like it. I think it's got natural drawbacks. Where do the fans, what about the fans having to sort of travel every two years? What about the fans, frankly? You know, let's, you know, get them on board and basically let them have proper access and proper tickets and, and, you know, make it work for them. But at the moment, that I'm not sure whether that works. But I thought it was interesting that basically Gareth Southgate has sat down with Arsene Wenger, and basically Gareth Southgate, I think, came away cl- clearly came away yes. from it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This has got potential. Mm. You know, it's not it's not perfect, but you know, this has got potential. Anyway, I guess we'll we'll, we'll see. I just want to come on to, the, the, you know, maybe the story of two weeks ago, which is undoubtedly going to be the biggest story of the, of, of the weekend. The some second coming of Ronaldo at, at United this weekend. Disco, I mean, what a story! By the way, I mean the the transfer in in essence, United nicking it under the noses of City, the kind of last minute nature of it, and you know, this fairy tale return. What a fantastic story! What a
3: lift for Manchester United! What a story! Oh, undoubtedly, Crossy. I mean, you know, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, the way it happened, obviously, you know, we we got wind of it when you know um, it was made clear that that City had been offered Ronaldo, uh, and I think obviously as soon as as soon as United, you know, got wind of those discussions and realised that George Mendes and, and Ronaldo were, you know, well, certainly Mendes was was in detailed talks with City, which, which which he was. I mean, City have subsequently come out and said that, you know, they looked at the proposal, they looked at Ronaldo, but he didn't fit their profile and they they turned him down. The reality is that Manchester United presumpt Manchester City. You know, City were, having lost out on Harry Kane, they needed a striker, they looked at Ronaldo, uh, they were in detailed talks with him, but as soon as that, as soon as Travis Ferguson got involved by calling Ronaldo, as soon as Ed Woodward, um, you know, got in touch with Mendes and said, look, You know, we will pay what it takes to to bring him back here. We can't have him going to Manchester City. You know, now you you can say that was a brilliant, brilliant um, bit of, you know, business from Mendes to kind of almost smoke United out in the sense of of going to City, offering Ronaldo to City, getting into talks with them and then drawing United out. Because let's be honest, Ronaldo wasn't in Manchester United's summer transfer plans at all. They thought he was going to stay at Juventus. They'd done their business uh, with Sancho uh, and Varane. So they they weren't planning on any more incomings. Of course, that all changed, um, you know, when he decided to leave Juventus, uh, and the kind of wheels were in motion then. But as you say, Crossy, a fantastic story. Um, you know, Manchester United quite rightly have made huge capital out of it. You only have to look at their Twitter, um, you know, account. You know, the, the the social media, the Facebook, the the, the website. You know, they've, every day there's a there's a Ronaldo um, update, and you know the countdown. You know five days to go, four days to go, and and here we are, you know, two days to go. So it's a great story an incredible story. Um, You know, he's going to be at 36. He's a different player to when he left 12 years ago. You know, back then he was obviously a a wide player with that incredible burst of pace. You know, he would take players on, dribble past them one on one. Now he's evolved into, you know, more of a striker, Um, you know, without that, you know, but he's got the ability to beat players, but not so much, obviously, because, you know, obviously he was 23, 24 when he left United. First time around, now he's 36. So I think we're going to see a different Ronaldo. Um, but, I mean, look, there's been so much said and written about it. Of course, you know, his professionalism, his work ethic, you know, his relentless will to win, that will rub off on, on the young players. You know, the likes of Rashford, Sancho, um, you know, Martial, you know, all these guys, all the young players um, in, in the squad, Greenwood, um, you know, so they can only benefit. Um, my only concern, um, and there hasn't been much sort of negativity towards the Ronaldo deal, is the level of expectation um, that, that comes with Ronaldo? Because I, I think, with all the sort of hype and the um, uh, you know the hyperbole and every, everything surrounding his return, which I, I get and I understand, and, and it's fantastic for us as journalists and fantastic for fans and fantastic for the game of football, the Premier League. I get all that, but I think it's creating a sense, possibly amongst United fans, that that you know here he comes, Ronaldo on his white horse to the rescue, and he's going to win us the title. I think it's it's not as simple as that, um, you know you know he's not going to play he's not going to be a starter every week you know he's going to have to be have his appearances rationed um you know you've you've already got a pretty formidable you know attack there um with fernandes with greenwood with cavani um with Pogba, you know you've you've got so many options there uh, with rashford to come back from injury there, there there are so many options there um now I'm not, I'm not saying that Ronaldo will disrupt that but i just think that it has to be tempered a little bit you know i don't think his arrival his return rather will necessarily you know, be the key that unlocks the door to United getting the title. Um, I think there were areas that they probably should have addressed. Possibly, certainly a holding midfielder was probably mm. more of a pressing concern than getting another attacker in, in in Ronaldo. But I think the hand was forced as soon as City got involved. They just couldn't countenance letting him go there. Um, and I think it goes back to this whole thing about Sir Alex Ferguson, always that his maxim, his mantra was always no one player is bigger than the club. And I've just got the sense in the last couple of weeks that, 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 that that's that been pushed the limit that that kind of <laughs> sense that, that, that Ronaldo is almost bigger than Manchester United the second coming um but having said that you know the caveat is I get that I understand it I'm I'm excited about it you know we, we can be pretty cynical journalists you know us, us football journalists in particular we've kind of seen it all but I'm genuinely excited about Saturday and uh, uh, Andy wrote a, a superb column the other day about the fact that it's not on you know tv you know You can have to listen to the radio if you want to tune into Ronaldo's return, which I think is fantastic. I know Andy will probably talk about that now, but I think that's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm going to be privileged to be there on on Saturday, one of the 75,000 to see Ronaldo's return. My only concern is that that, 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 that there is too much expectation that he will suddenly be the Ronaldo that, that, you know, swept all before him in the Premier League before he left in 2009. And I don't think that will happen. No, no, it is interesting. Listen, I, I did, I do agree. Andy's column
0: was was great, and I, I, you know, I've written about this as well because there's no doubt about it. Sky, you know, Sky must be kicking themselves basically. But it, it you know, it does give that wonderful sense of old, you know, fashionist, traditionalist traditionless. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, Matt, what do you make of that? That uh, basically is is on the radio. Are, are you gonna? You know, I think you're doing the game in a Saturday lunchtime, aren't you? But on the on your on your way home, at least you'll have the car radio, are not you? And Absolutely. It's something, something magic, wasn't it? I know we're all sort of kind of pals with Ian Dennis. You know, I think Dennis doing the game, isn't he? And you know, it's just to know. I think it's what well, you know. I, I'm an absolute radio fan. I love listening to the radio. I always listen to the radio, and I, you know, I think there's something special about that, Matt. Don't you?
1: Oh, it's brilliant for me because, yeah, like you say, I'm at Palace Spurs, so I'll only my only option is to follow the game on the radio. So for the fact that I'm, didn't, um, when they signed the contract, uh, didn't they have a gentleman's agreement that they could change games at the last minute or something? They should have perhaps had one of those put into their multi-million pound contract. Uh, I'm not mm. suggesting that is. I'm just suggesting the another pop up, uh, the pointlessness of gentleman's agreements. Um, no. oh, of course, of course, it's a shame for Sky when they've paid so much money. They should expect to have the big games and the big games sometimes become the big games at the last moment. But as Andy said, that's the luck of the draw. That's the contract they signed. And, uh, and yeah, so what? It's like FA Cup draws when you had to listen to them on them on the radio and find time in your school day to sneak headphones in at 12.45 and miss, miss your history lesson. You know, if you make an effort to, to tune into these things, it means that much more. And uh, and it's a very personal medium, the radio. It's you, the voice of the commentator. And uh, yeah, and then I'm sure, will be um looking forward to to doing the, the return justice. Yeah,
0: yeah they do. They, they're already thinking, aren't they, it's going to be the biggest radio commentary of all. Yes,
1: yeah, so no pressure.
0: I can understand why. I mean, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it, really?
1: No, it'd be fantastic. It's a fantastic thing, but, you know, but there again, you don't know how these things are going to pan out because Spurs fans thought they had something similar last year with Gareth Bale, but, but it didn't quite work out. That late. No, no,
3: no. I mean, Disco, do you think he'll start? I don't think he'll start, no. I think, um, I mean, look, we saw what he can do, you know, against Republic of Ireland. Um, I've watched that game, covered that game. Um, You know, he missed the penalty, you know, to to get the get the all time record for international goal scorer um, early on uh, and and had a relatively quiet game, although he had a free kick that was brilliantly saved um, uh, towards the end. And then he pops up with two classic Ronaldo headers, you know, the ability to get in the air and hang there, you know, uh, uh, above defenders, you know, who were probably five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 years younger than him. Um, Yeah, so he can still do it. He has that sense of theatre about him. Um, I, do I think he'll start? I don't think so. But you know, you know, Solskjaer may have other ideas. I think yes. it would be too much of too much presentation and playing for the crowd, possibly to put him to start. I think yes. the, the sense of occasion that you would get, you know, with that anticipation and him, you know, warming up on the touchline and you know the fans that you know getting the fans in a frenzy, that might work to Manchester United's advantage. I mean, look, let's let's you know, with all due respect, to Newcastle. They should overcome them with ease with the players they've got. So uh, I think it, it was all possibly set. The stage could be set for Ronaldo to come on with maybe 20-25 minutes gone. With United, you would imagine, although you never know what United are getting these days. is United ahead, you know maybe by a couple of goals, that would ease the pressure on Ronaldo to come on and and, and deliver. Uh, and I think that would be the perfect sort of you know return for him uh, in terms of the the, the sense of theatre and anticipation. So. Listen, I mean Solskjaer, as I say, may have other plans, but my gut feeling is that he'll be on the bench on Saturday. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh,
0: Andy, uh, Andy, well, well, Ronaldo have the final say on the team selection. By the way, thanks for reminding us, Disco, that it's Newcastle that they're playing. Because I think we've forgotten there's another team yeah. involved. <laughs> but that,
2: that, that's a great, that, that's a great point, cro- that's a great yeah. point, crossing. We are assuming Solskjaer has the, has the final say. I'm sure he has because that's that's the point I was going to make. You, you know, where, where, when when Dave said about the um, the build up, and about you know, it's as close as you get to thinking, you know, one player bigger than the club. Well, I'm sure Ferguson would also have said, no player is bigger than the manager. And I noticed, you know, even this week, you know, that there's a picture of Ronaldo there talking to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, but, but then it's like, you know, who's that on the right, you know, next to, next to Cristiano Ronaldo to a certain extent? And Solskjaer, will he be under pressure? I understand again what Disco is saying about whether or not. He starts, but is he under pressure to start him? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's you, you. You would like to think not. but certainly it's it, it's given an element where the Ronaldo show now. It, it, it's strange, isn't it? In the at, at United title rivals, who are the biggest, most important characters at those clubs? I would suggest it's Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, and Thomas Tuchel who's the most important character now at Manchester United, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. That's what Ole, and that's through no fault of his own, by the way, but that's the situation he, he, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now finds himself in. So how he handles that is going to be a fascinating narrative going forward. You know, if Ronaldo isn't, you know, pulling up any trees, you know, can he drop him? Can he leave him out? Um, You you know, we're, we're forever being told about the commercial pulling power. Is that something Solskjaer has to take in into account it's interesting and of course as as i think all of us have said it also means that you know there's no excuses now solskjaer in terms of for not winning something this season you know he has to produce but i just think it's you know the manager in the modern age the managers become the most important person at the club and high profile headline making you know in the spotlight it's cristiano ronaldo now at manchester united and that, and that's going to be a fascinating dynamic to see how that how that all pans out yeah I mean also
3: it, it just shows the world and, and and sort of feeds into what Danny was just saying then and and this kind of narrative about you know him being bigger than the club or making decisions on, on when he plays and everything I mean he's already taken Cavani's shirt number now you know he's he's got the number seven and and it's a fate of complete you know I know Cavani wears 21 for Uruguay and and and, and that's presented but you know I'm Publicly, Cavani will probably, you know, will say certainly, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. But I wonder privately whether, you know, there might be an undercurrent there already of, you know, hang on, this guy just come in and taken my shirt number. A bit like when um, Ibrahimovic took Martial's number nine when he came in, you know, that, yeah. that coincided with Martial's, you know, real dip in form from which he hasn't recovered. So, my, as I say, my only concern is that, you know, You would never turn down Ronaldo, given, you know, he proved recently he can still do it at the height level. What do you get? 101 goals in 134 games for Juve? You know, I know they didn't win the title and everything, and people say, oh, he made them worse. But the numbers, the stats back it up. He's still got it at 36. He's in supreme physical condition. My only concern is that his arrival kind of takes away from the team and the focus is on him and not the the team, which, you know, let's, let's be honest, the progress that they've made under Oligar Solskjaer, and I was sceptical when Solskjaer was appointed full time. I think you know, many of us were, and we've kind of been forced to kind of, you know, sort of revise those opinions because he has, season on season. You know, they were third in his first full season, second last season. He's built a team based on youth with a with an identity, with a clear direction, and 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 let's be honest, their transfer strategy in the last two years has been much more coherent than it has been at any time since Alex Ferguson. Um, Stepped down. You know, it was a real haphazard Galactico kind of approach, and you know, look at Sanchez, Ibrahimovic, okay, that, that worked for a while, Di Maria, all these, you know, Schneider, uh, Schweinsteiger, all these kind of, you know, there's nothing coherent about the way they recruited. The last couple of seasons with the likes of, you know, Maguire, Navaran, um, you know, um, uh, Sancho as well this summer, there has been a coherent process that you can see, a, a real vision there. And even United have admitted that Ronaldo was nowhere in their plans at all, and it was really an emotional reaction to getting involved. I just wonder whether his arrival will upset the team and have an adverse effect on them. Only time will tell, and you know he, he may bang in the goals and he may you know take you know take up where he left off 12 years ago. But that's the only kind of um, reservation I have. Um, but we'll have to wait and see how how that how that develops.
0: It'll be fascinating. I must say that there's a couple of other stories that I want to sort of touch on before we we go. The first one being the the incredible story, Matt, about the FIFA and the route over releasing players. It's mm. probably not. I'm not. I'm trying to get my head around this, but it's probably not great timing for FIFA. Actually, in in this kind of club country country rows there as they unveil their grand plans for the future, it's probably not great timing. Really, puts the clubs at war with FIFA. But um, but anyway, that's by the bye. Um. I don't think any of us thought it would come to this, did we? I mean, the Argentinian players, you know, from from you know Villa um, and and then Tottenham. I mean that that those farcical scenes, seeing them pulled off the pitch, basically, and then then now, you know, the sort of kind of being told you can' you can come back, but you can't play, and it just seems what an incredible row and what an incredible standoff do you see any kind of resolution do you see any kind of solution to this for this weekend
1: Uh, for this weekend I think lines have been drawn um Mm. what what you've got to remember is um much as FIFA uh, try to control everything that they've not managed to find uh, a a mysterious way to protect footballers from transmitting COVID Uh, and when footballers fly all over the world they are conduits for very serious disease, which we keep coming back to. Uh, and, and if governments say, no, we don't want foreigners coming into our country potentially bringing that disease, then that's the entitlement of a government. It's, it transcends football. Uh, and if that's if that's the way it is, then, you know, I'm sorry, it is difficult times. You're trying to play a sport the best you can in the circumstances, but you have to abide by those circumstances uh, and try and discuss uh, you know, things you can do to make exceptions by all means. But ultimately, governments have to have control over who comes in and out of the country and because they're the ones trying to control this disease. Uh, Infantino is just trying to get some, you know, bags of leather, bags of air kicked around for the entertainment of the masses. Um, and if a player is banned from Goethe-Or, he's going to have to quarantine for, for so long, they're going to miss a substantial part of their domestic season, it makes no sense to put them through that because, you know, the game is, the strength it is because of the players and because of the money they earn ins and outs. You know, so I can't see why FIFA are digging their heels in and insisting that they play, invoking that five-day rule. Um, It just seems ludicrous. Um, I agree. If players just don't fancy it for their players, then that's wrong. But if players genuinely are going to be locked up for 14 days and possibly 14 days coming back, it's just a a no-brainer. Just don't do it. Let's work all together to make it a safer place so that these rules don't have to be in place again uh, and then start invoking rules and making people play for their country. Because I do think it's an important part of, of football as well is allowing people to play for their country. So, yeah, this has just been a horrible mess that I think FIFA... I've uh, been far too overconfident about sorting out and countries bowing to their pressure, uh, and they haven't. And and I think FIFA needs to backtrack a bit, wind the neck in, and for October and November, make up some serious rules that make sense rather than just you know ploughing on regardless, saying that they're bigger than anybody.
0: Yeah, um, let, let's move on to the um, the bottom of the table clash. Involved involving Arsenal and Norwich this weekend. You didn't expect to be hearing that about Arsenal when they spent 160 million this summer and Mikel Arteta the second coming. But Andy, just for a bit of fun, right? I'm actually going to kick off with Norwich hearing this, right? Yeah. Because I keep on reading how brilliant Norwich are. Okay, there's a piece this morning. I, mean, I won't say who, we will not say who, but they have got the best. PR in business as far as I see it because haven't they sold their best player in Buendia yeah. and basically then spent what 45 million quid in the market and and apparently this underlines their ambition and they're a go forward club with well, the bottom of the table scored one goal no points and how can you say that if they go down again I mean listen if they survive then they've made progress right we get that and basically they're trying to level out in a way that trying to think of a decent example Burnley did for for example. Yeah. I mean, you know, blimey, come on. I mean, this isn't, you know, I think I, I know a few Norwich fans, basically, a little bit more realistic about perhaps than some of the journalists yeah. writing about it and sort of not quite so forgiving. Am I missing the point here? Do you see where I'm coming from? Well, I'm, I
2: absolutely see where you're coming from. Listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with, particularly inherently wrong with go, being a yo-yo club, for want of a better phrase. After all, it's nice to see your team win some matches. I mean, already, you know, they're they're losing matches heavily. So it will be nice when you go back to the Championship and you win matches, you know, a lot of matches. I mean, I'm sure that was quite an entertaining season when Burnley went back and, 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 you know, won 30 matches or whatever, as as compared to like maybe a dozen, you know, winning in a Premier League. It must be nice to watch your team not getting battered. Um, when you get back into the championship. But I'm, I'm absolutely with you, and, and they have what good PR. Listen, I, I mean, I, I have a particular B in my bonnet, as you well know, never mind about the subs, but about lone players, you, you know, and they've taken Billy Gilmore and Brandon Williams, you know, and you sell your best player, and then, and then you basically go cap in hand to the powers that be, the ones who can pat you on the head and treat you, you know, um, but basically patronise you and say, okay, well, listen, you can have him, you can lease, you know, Billy or Brandon or whatever, keep them in the shop window because they're not going to make it our place, so they'll keep their value up. And I just think that's against that. i rather see Norwich bring two of their young players in instead of borrowing players um off of teams that in theory are in the same league as them, but are not in the same league as them. And that just underlines it. So that that winds me up anyway. So so any sort of idea that it's going to be a, a an honourable sort of quest to stay in a Premier well, League when they're just the basically thing. going cap in hand to in hand. to to the big clubs. I, I don't like that. So, so, listen, they're quite a nice team to watch, but if that's the way you want to operate, by by basically trying to stay in with a minimum net spend and by borrowing players, then that's fine. Um, and basically, you, you will go back down. And if you go back down, that's fine. You know, you, know, you might come back up and you'll win a few games. So, so good luck to them, but not for me,
3: really.
0: Disco, do you think Arsenal will win their relegation six-pointer? <laughs>
3: Well, having having seen Arsenal and Norwich get thumped five 0 by Man City in in, uh, in successive weekends, uh, you know I don't know how, don't hold uh, out much hope for either of them. Um, they should do. They should do. But look, I mean, you know, but crossy, you know, the the issues that Arteta's got at the moment, um, you know, Arsenal have just just got. And there's nothing there. There's there's you can't see any discernible plan or any any kind of. Uh, vision really at the moment. I mean, I appreciate he's missing key players, but you know, I mean, what was the percent, the, the percentage of possession something like eighty nine to eleven or something, eighty two to eighteen? I can't remember. But it was you know, it was the most possession that City have ever had in in the Premier League against Arsenal, which tells you everything. You know, I mean, I know Arsenal went down to ten men with Jacker getting sent off. You know, you know, for that that ridiculous lunge, but you know. I think Norwich, you know, I mean, they've certainly got a chance. I mean, they're playing Arsenal, you know, Arsenal on paper have got a superior squad, of course, but they're low on confidence and you would think that Norwich will certainly see this as an opportunity to, to, you know, to win and get the win that sort of lifts them, you know, not out of trouble, but certainly sets them on their way. I mean, I couldn't wish for better opponents to be playing. You know, Arsenal are bereft of confidence themselves. Um... So, yeah, if you, you asked me, my money would be on Norwich at the moment, you know, because um, I just think Arsenal haven't got any kind of direction at the moment, any kind of confidence, any kind of vision, anything discernible that you can say, yeah, I can see that there's a, there's a pathway out of this current situation.
0: Come on, Matt, let's finish with you. You're a big admirer of Arsenal, aren't you? But basically...
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 100%... Give 100% Arsenal some you. hope, come on. Yeah, no, I'm 100% behind you, Crossy. I think they should... Uh, Drop down to the championship for a season, get (laughs) to winning a few games and perhaps build that confidence. Um, It'd be good for their fans. Their fans would love to see them winning regularly and 46 times a season, you know, rather than just just the uh, 38. So I think that's the perfect plan. I think secretly that's what Arteta is trying to do.
0: Yeah, getting back on track, getting back on track. Getting back to winning ways. (laughs) more angry rants online if basically they're winning week in week out would they yeah absolutely
1: it's to get the Arsenal TV and have nothing to complain about Fan TV, absolutely. They to complain. they'd be winning week A and week out I reckon
0: well there you go there you go that's sorted and you know Mikel Arteta's got a great and it makes player.
1: sense why Arsenal is sticking with Arteta because if it's well, all part I've of our master plan he's the best brilliant. manager they've had for years
0: <laughs> brilliant to see <laughs> guys thanks so much for joining that's it So, really appreciate it and uh, yeah what a weekend what a weekend it's going to be dominated for me now mate And, and what a story absolutely fantastic plenty to look forward to thanks so much really appreciate it